Welcome to another edition of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Matt Breed, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC 268, headlined by two banger title fights between Wang, uh, Wiley Zhang and Rose Nami Yunus, running it back once again after their fight at UFC 261, and then the welterweight rematch we've been all waiting for, Kamaru Usman going up against Colby Covington for the second time, and hopefully finding out who deserves to be the king of the welterweight division, not to mention we got Michael Chandler going up against Justin Gaethje absolute fire of a fight and a ton of other great fights to round out the card I can't wait to break down this card for you guys but as we always do to kick off the the show let's go over the last bets that we had over this past week and there's actually two events that we had to go over so let's quickly do that on Wednesday night we had the PFL championship uh, event and I had two bets on it as I felt quite comfortable with the odds that I was getting and luckily we swept the card there guys so let's start off with the Ray Cooper versus Magomed Magomed Karimov fight I was very much in favor of the Karimov side or Magomed Karimov side as I thought he would go out there and get another submission victory over Ray Cooper I thought he was going to be finished so once i saw that the over under was set at four and a half and i was getting minus 104 on it i had to go with the under in case that ray cooper decided to go out there and just knock uh magomed karimov's head into that fifth row and that's exactly what he did because he managed to make a pull off a bit of a comeback especially in a round that looked like magomed karimov was really starting to take over and possibly was going to get the finish himself ray cooper digs deep lands beautiful bombs and then eventually gets magomed out of there and uh, we cashed that bet for a plus 1.44 units. But goddamn, the best bet of the night had to come with Abigail Montez as a plus 236 underdog against Clarissa Shields. That cashes for plus 2.36 units. I just have no idea how anybody can back Clarissa Shields at money line odds, especially considering the troubles that we saw in her last fight against Brittany Elkins, her inability to stand up at times. And now you're getting a better fighter that can pull off a much similar game plan. Yeah, I'd be on the Abigail Montez side as well at plus 236 and i'm happy that i did because goddamn that was a very satisfying win how it was a split decision absolutely beyond me there's no excuse for that abigail montez deserved to win that fight 2-1 without a doubt uh but luckily we were able to catch that and the judges did not fuck us over that night so all in all plus 3.8 units on pfl to wrap up their season season very happy with that as i'm not a big pfl guy but i spotted those spots and i needed to take it full advantage of that and we needed that little bit of profit as you know this uh next event that i'm going to talk about ufc 267 we hit a little bit of a loss there but as the full week went on we still ended up in the green but let's get into ufc 267 the lock of the night play comes through which is the only play that ended up coming through we had five units at minus 122 which was a parlay of alexander volkov who fought a way closer fight than i expected him to fight i was you know uh very nervous about that scorecard once we actually got to the judges scorecards but thankfully judges saw that Volkov deserved at least two of those rounds and luckily he did I if I'm not mistaken there was a couple of 30 27s in there as well but I do believe that Volkov deserved that at least two to one drive gave us a little bit of a heart attack really was struggling to get the takedowns against uh Kopilov uh you know he almost got one there with Kopilov kind of grabbing on the gauge and the ref readjusting them to, to to give drive a really good takedown position he completes that rides out that round and then in the next round or sorry the first round does enough to to get enough work done and, and get the judge's decision his way because i thought kopilov won that third round again way closer of a lock than i played than i wanted but luckily we still cashed it so that was plus 4.11 units unfortunately it was downhill for the rest of the card there uh next play up we had um 
the the under two and a half in Zaleski dos Santos against Benoit Saint Denis at one and a half units at minus one twenty nine and. How much more of a bad beat can you get than that? Where we had Zaleski really much, uh, very much had uh, Saint Denis on the ropes in that second round. Pretty much every judge and their mother would have stopped that fight, or every ref and their mother would have stopped that fight. Unfortunately, the ref did not stop that fight, and uh, he was quickly dismissed after that fight as he was scheduled to ref at least one more fight that night. And man, it was not good, a good look. Mark Goddard, who I believe runs the commission on that side of the world, uh, was not having it, and uh, he quickly dim- dismissed that rush and uh you know cost a lot of us that under two and a half would seem like a damn good play in this fight and uh man we were so close to cashing that ticket if that ticket cashed we would ended up in the in profit for this event but that's what we get with the game of mma so that's minus 1.5 units there i also had a half unit stab on andre petrovsky in round one at plus 250 the man goes out there defies the odds once again in terms of his cardio and gets another third round finish that's back-to-back third round finishes for a guy that we consider to be a gasser however level of competition very sketchy so obviously he'll be able to pull it off against those types of guys but i I don't mind the type of effort that we got from petrovsky in that first round because he got the takedown he got some of the positions he just could not could not get close enough to actually get a finish so minus 0.5 units there then we go on to the dog of the night plays the first of which was which was verna jandy robot two units at plus 141 um yeah i was very excited about jandy robot going into this fight because i felt she could go out there and continue to show that amanda hebos is a bit of a fraud at least in my eyes and hebos proved me wrong she stuffed takedowns in rounds two and round three well enough that jandy robot could not win those two rounds although in that first round it looked damn good with the control time we were getting from jandy robot from on top uh but hebos did a good enough job in terms of staying on the outside stuffing the takedowns and uh jandy robo very much slowed down in that third round she could not get anything going so we ended up losing that fight minus two units and then lastly dog of the night played my most polarizing pick of the week one unit on Corey sadling in at plus 205 just letting you guys know second lowest unit uh you know um stake on this on this card and then uh, obviously outside of the half unit stab on Petrosi in round one it's the lowest you know one unit is what I took on Corey sending in here because pre-fight I thought he presented the problems that were uh required to give uh, uh Purion his first or first legitimate loss inside the UFC uh he did it very well in that first round but after that it was all downhill as Purion Purion really started to get the timing down and he really started to open up after that and he gained a ton of my respect you know uh, one of the main things I kept saying and hearing from people actually in the lead up to this fight is that Purion just gets stronger as the fight goes on and I kind I tried to dismiss that considering that you know the two fights that we have of evidence where he gets stronger as the fight goes on we're against two guys who ultimately end up slowing down later in fights Aljamain Sterling who's clearly slowing down in that fight and then obviously Jose Aldo who's notoriously been slowing down in that fight since he got knocked out or, or get, slowing down later in fights since he got knocked out by Conor McGregor back at UFC 194 so uh Pierre dispelled all that kept the pressure going Corey Sandengen was not able to keep up and we end up losing that bet so again I don't regret it in hindsight because pre-fight I felt as though that was the right read especially at the odds that we were given uh but Purion continues to show up and just 
absolutely obliterate his opponents. I will never fade Piotr Jan again. Now, TJ Dillashaw presents similar type of types of issues that Corey Satnagan could, uh, you know, show to uh, Piotr Jan, but I just don't think that TJ is going to be that guy, especially coming off another knee surgery now. Piotr Jan will rule this division for a long time. And uh, yeah, that will likely be the last time I ever bet against him. So all in all for UFC 267 minus 0.89 units or less than a unit lost that night. Again, coupled that with PFL and we have, uh, you know, a pretty solid week of betting. But uh, that that under two and a half in the Zaleski fight still stings. It's been a couple of days now. Still stings. Can't believe we didn't end up cashing that bet. Is what it is. But uh, lock of the night play hits. And to me, that's kind of the most important thing that we're supposed to do, especially when my branding is... MMA lock of the night. So, uh, like I said, minus 0.89 units on UFC 267. Let's turn that shit around this week. We got a big UFC 268 card. I'm not 100% sure if I'm actually going to have a lock of the night play for this card. Skimming through it, you know, not many plays that I felt really good about, but uh, not many plays I felt good enough to stake lock of the night unit type, uh, lock of the night type units on the uh, on the bet but still a couple other spots that are intriguing enough to take one to two unit pokes on which i still believe will still end up coming on the other side with some profit so let's see how that goes down quickly want to plug the patreon obviously uh they get first dibs on all the breakdowns before i drop it to the public not to mention a best bets and props article not to mention my bets as soon as i drop them uh again i don't drop the bets officially uh to the public until friday or at least the day before the event so that's a perk there and then not to mention probably the most valuable thing on the entire patreon has got to be the discord channel a great group of guys in there uh not just talking mma but talking all sorts of sports trying to find edges on in other sports and trying to you know not just make money off mma but baseball basketball soccer whatever the fuck it may be these guys are great at it and uh i have a lot to thank uh a lot of them to thank for for bringing value to the discord channel because that shit is lit 24 7 so make sure you guys check out the patreon link is in the description below five bucks a month a ton of great value trust me you don't want to miss out on that and then lastly shout out to CoolBet. we continuously get on a month-to-month basis people using the promo code so i'm going to keep spilling it out because cool bet's a great spot you know what i mean they got great odds you can parlay props uh a lot of my bets are on cool bet recently since they have great odds like i had said uh sometimes they're a little bit slow in terms of moving odds so you might benefit from uh you know some line movement that you may not have foreseen and cool bet may still have that line dangling for you to potentially take a shot on uh so cool bet use promo code mmalotn2 they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks and uh yeah trust me you're gonna want to take full advantage of it because I love Quebec. All right, that's a wrap on this end. Uh, back-to-back pay-per-view weekends for the UFC. The last card was a banger. Hopefully, this card will be a banger as well. We got some grudge matches on it. And not to mention Justin Gaethje versus uh, Michael Chandler. Holy motherfucking shit. Uh, excuse my profanity, but that fight deserves all the profanity because it's about to be some fire. All right, that's a wrap on the intro here. I'll see you guys on the flip side for the outro. Enjoy the breakdowns. O'Day Osborne versus CJ Vergara or Carlos Vergara. I still don't understand which name they're going to be using, but I will have 
my answer this weekend once they start announcing him and start talking about him. We got minus 180 on O'Day Osborne and plus 160 on Vergara. Uh, Vergara obviously coming off an impressive contender series victory where he was able to get uh, Bruno Cohea out of there within 40 seconds with a beautiful body kick and then obviously follow up with some strikes after that. Now, Carlos Vergara brings a decent Muay Thai style to the game uh, or to the to the cage uh, and shows decent combinations, decent forward movement, but I do have a lot of questions about his ground game as his most recent loss did come via you know, uh, submission less than a minute into that fight. Ode Osborne has a pretty good game himself, a decent striking from the outside, long and lanky for this division, but it has a sneaky choke game as well, and it leads me to believe that he'll look to ground CJ Vergara in this fight and try to look for a submission. I do believe that Ode Osborne's submission prop is sitting around plus 240. Let me just quickly confirm that number for you guys before we move on. Uh, Osborne buys by submission plus 285, plus 350 on certain spots as well. I think that is a very live prop here. But the one that I like the most is actually the under two and a half, which I think is roughly around minus uh, 130. If you have access to that, I think that's a great spot because both guys more often than not go out there and either go out on the shield or uh, get the finish themselves. Um, I, I do lean the Osborne side. I do like his uh, striking from the outside. I do think it will cause Carlos a ton of uh, uh, issues, especially with Carlos getting a little bit frustrated having to stand at distance. And once he crashes forward, I think he's just going to run out to counters or a possible takedown attempt from Ode Osborne. And then on the ground, I think it's just going to be one-way traffic. Again, uh, we haven't really seen Vergara off of his back uh, since that fight where he got uh, tapped out several fights ago. But I do think we'll see him get tested in the ground game here against Osborne, who you've got to believe he knows that his path of least resistance will be able to take this fight to the ground and get to work um yeah i like Os osborne quite a lot in this fight i do have him parlayed with something else later in this card uh i'm not big on vergara you know i did have a small bet or at least i think i parlayed kohea because i do i did think that he'd be able to ground the fight and sink in a choke of his own but the fight didn't get to play out enough right it only lasted 40 seconds uh so i don't think my my thoughts have really changed over gara and i do think that this is a steal of a price on oday osborne so i'm going to go osborne and i think he gets this done very quickly first round submission Melsic Bagdazarian going up against Bruno Souza. We got minus 320 on Bagdazarian, plus 260 on the short notice Bruno Souza. Now, Bruno stepping in on somewhat short notice after TJ Laramie was forced to pull out. I believe the fight was announced last week, so he has decent enough time, uh, or at least, you know, better than most fighters who step in on short notice for the UFC. Uh, good enough time to prepare for this fight against Melsic Bagdazarian. Now, Melsic, I love what this kid brings to the table. You know, move forward pretty much every single time, throw everything into your shots, try to knock your opponents out. And, you know, why not have that kind of confidence when you have the regional uh, resume that this guy did? You know, coming into the contender series, uh, great fight against Dennis Bazukia there. Uh, did seem to start slowing down as we expected he did, but he did not wilt at all. He kept moving forward in that third round and was able to secure that third round and eventually that decision victory. In the Colin Anglin fight, another fight going into the second round, hands on his hips, looks like he's starting to slow down, but finds that knockout head kick of Colin and drops him and finishes him there. That gas tank is always going to be a liability and a worry for anybody that wants to pay that price on Melsic Bagdazarian. So I think the best way to go about it, well, then again, he has won uh, a decision in the past. So uh, I'm not 100% sold on the fact that he can only win by knockout. But this fight against Bruno Souza, he's going up against a Machida style type fighter. You know, he is uh, training under Machida, but he has that elusive karate style, but he still does get hit at times. And I do think that Melsic will be able to find that trigger and, and that button. Um, 
early in this fight, probably in the first round. But if he doesn't, those second and third rounds could get a little bit iffy, right? The Like I said, the elusiveness and the movement of Bruno Souza could cause Melsic some issues, and he could possibly get outpointed from the outside with uh, Bruno just sticking and moving, sticking and moving, staying away from the big power shots of Melsic. Uh, Bruno hasn't been knocked out in his career. His only loss was his first ever fight, and since then he's been undefeated. Uh, and then Bagdasarian, on the other hand, you know, he, he's been choked out in the past, if I'm not mistaken. I just want to quickly pull that up. I know he has one loss on his record. I uh, just want to quickly pull that up. He, oh, no, sorry. It was a... Uh, a lot his first ever loss in 2014 and then after that he took a bunch of time off and then eventually came back to the UFC and has just been tearing shit up 14 second knockout 32 second knockout 9 second knockout 7 second knockout then he gets onto the contender series goes to a decision uh, and then makes his UFC debut and gets that second round knockout over England but this fight against Bruno Souza could be interesting um uh Melsic round one I think is round plus 250 plus 300 I think that's a decent spot Melsic by knockout plus 150 not too bad of a spot either but going into round two I might have to sprinkle a little bit on Bruno Souza if he's above plus 400 plus 500 because I think he could get away with that sticking and moving in the second and third rounds here that's why I'm not so big on playing Melsic Bagdasarian at minus 320 uh in this spot he should win right like this is the hardest striker toughest striker maybe even toughest opponents that Bruno Souza Bruno Souza has had to go up against in his career and this is where we probably see his chin get cracked and him going out but again historically speaking we've never seen that happen um uh, we saw Bruno Souza obviously get ragdolled by Mike Hamill before that last uh, inadvertent uh, shot that got uh, Ham Hamill uh, disqualified. Um, so that was probably you know a, a fight that Bruno Souza was going on to lose. He got bailed out by that DQ, uh, but that's like the worst trouble we've seen him in over his last couple fights. Um, yeah, tough, tough fight. I'm not, I'm not playing the chalk on Melsic. He should win. I'd rather play his KO prop, like I said, at plus three or his round one prop at plus three hundred. His KO prop at plus one fifty. I might have to poke Bruno Souza round three plus two thousand though, because that is a, a that is a possibility that he could possibly catch Bogdanovich if he starts overthrowing and then just pinpoint him from the outside and probably snipe him for a KO victory as well. The under two and a half was a bet that I was considering in this fight, which is plus one hundred five because that covered both finishes on both sides, but I just couldn't pull the trigger out for some reason. Uh, I'd rather go, like I said, with just Melsic plus 150 straight up for the KO. Um, yeah, tough fight. Uh, harder than the odds suggest, in my opinion, but I do think that Melsic will still come out with his hand raised. People will call me crazy if he goes out there and still knocks him out on that first round, saying that the fight should be closer than the odds suggest, but that's the game. I want to see this fight stretched into the third round to see if my 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 inkling is true or if my my thoughts are correct. But just for the sake of parlays and stuff, I don't mind if Melsic goes out there and gets that early knockout. So I'm going Bogdazarian, first round KO. Dustin Jacoby stepping in for Alexa Kamora is taking on John Allen. And we got minus 345 on Dustin Jacoby. The return on John Allen is plus 285. Now, I think that this is a great stylistic matchup for Dustin Jacoby, especially to take on short notice as more than likely he's always in shape ready to go trading over there at Colorado in altitude his cardio always seems to be on point and again stylistically speaking here against John Allen seems like a very winnable fight for him now the lone win on John Allen's record inside the UFC was actually changed to a no contest after he popped for steroids after that fight against Mike Rodriguez where he won a fight uh, via decision putting Mike Rodriguez pretty much through the ringer in that fight landing takedowns forward pressure not really letting Mike Rodriguez get his game going and uh, again 
it turns out it was probably the steroids that got him that win. Then in his next fight and his return against Roman Delize, uh, not able to stop takedowns, not able to stop the forward pressure of, of Roman Delize at times, but it did seem like a very close fight at times. It was just certain aspects of that Delize game that did sway the judges in his favor. Here against Dustin Jacoby, though, man, I, I think John Allen's in for a world of hurt, to be honest. But I do give him some benefit in terms of being able to be durable. I do think that you'll see the final bell here, but I think that Justin, Dustin Jacoby will be able to kind of do what he does land the strikes from the outside batter that lead leg really let his strikes go and uh you know get, pretty much take home a dominant decision victory in this fight we've seen Dustin Jacoby in the past have to deal with takedowns but he reacts very well he never settles for it you know he's always kind of working to get back to his feet never let his never lets his opponent settle on top so that it gets it makes it harder for him to get back to his feet but in pretty much you know his last two three fights alone you can see his urgency to get back to his feet is very good and that usually drains the gas tank of his opponents just as we saw in the Iwan Kutalaba fight where Kutalaba I believe landed six or seven takedowns in that first round you know there were just a lot of bat returns in that instance and that allowed Jacoby to get back to his feet time and time again gassing out Iwan Kutilaba and we obviously ended up getting that, that split draw and I really can't believe that we actually got a 29-28 scorecard for Iwan Kutilaba in that fight as you know I don't see how you can make a case that he won a second or third round in that fight. The guy was huffing and puffing. Dustin was having tremendous success from the outside, just picking picking him apart, sticking and moving, and that should have given him the uh, the clear cut win in that fight. However, I will say this: uh, I do believe that he lost that first round ten eight. Uh, so he probably would have gone to a draw anyway if he just won the second round, second and third round via ten. Excuse me. 10-9, which I think were the appropriate scores there. Um, and then in his next fight, goes up against Darren Stewart, gets taken down a couple times, never settles, like I said, never settles, gets right back to his feet and really puts a hurting on Darren Stewart and ended up, ended up getting him out of there in the latter half of that first round. I'm kind of expecting the same thing here against John Allen, but I don't know if he'll be able to finish John Allen here. Allen might be successful on a couple of takedowns, but he showed in the Mike Rodriguez fight and he showed in fights prior that he just doesn't have the greatest top control, which is why I think that Dustin Jacoby will have a really good uh, or will have really good success in terms of getting back to his feet and start putting the hurting on uh, John Allen in the striking realm. But again, I think Allen is durable enough uh, to stay in the fight, to see the 15-minute mark here, but I'm just not overly confident to the point that I'm running to the betting window to bet Jacoby by decision in this fight because I, I think he, he wins this fight pretty much where he wants. Again, obviously, if he ends up on his back and is not able to get back to his feet, that's a bit of a concern, but everything that I've seen on tape shows me that he gets back to his feet almost immediately, and I feel like John Allen will be no different in terms of his inability to control opponents from that top position. Um is John Allen worth the plus 285? No, I, I really don't think so. I'd be surprised if he goes out there and beats Jacoby. The only advantage he has in this fight is he's the one that was preparing for this fight. Uh, or, or preparing for this specific date, whereas Dustin Jacoby pretty much just jumped in on short notice, I believe, a week or two ago. So, um, again, seems like a guy that's always in shape, ready to go, always in fight camp. Again, training there in Colorado. We know his cardio is usually top notch, especially for a light heavyweight, and I expect I, I expect that to show here against John Allen. So. I like Jacoby a lot. I'll be looking for parlay opportunities as well for him here as that obviously minus 345 is pretty much unplayable as a straight bet. But I do think that he holds some value as a potential parlay piece. Uh, and I do think that uh, he's one of the better uh, 
money line spots on the card in terms of guys that should go out there and win. And at minus 345, he's somewhat parlayable to like pass, you know, last weekend where we had like minus six, minus 700 uh, parlay pieces. So minus 345, I think Jacoby's a great parlay piece. I think he wins this fight. I'm going to say via decision, not 100% sure about that. But uh, yeah, I, I like Jacoby a lot in the spot. So once again, final prediction, we're going with Dustin Jacoby to win this fight via decision. Gian Vellante versus Chris Barnett. We got minus 130 on the retiring Gian Vellante and plus 110 on Beast Boy Chris Barnett. Now, it just came out within the last... I'd say 24 to 48 hours that Gian Vellante has declared this his retirement fight, which is usually not the best thing you want to hear from a fighter, if you're, especially if you're going out and backing them. But given his level of competition here against Chris Barnett, you know, maybe he is going to do his best to go out there and beat a guy like Chris, who, you know, again, maybe not UFC level. He's fun to watch. You know, he uh, likes to go out there and, and throw his wild spinning shit and very unorthodox in his striking style. But the guy's just not going to cut it in the UFC. And, you know, this is the bottom of the barrel type talent once again with Gian Vellante on his way out of uh, the MMA world. And, uh, you know, if Chris Barnett's not able to beat a guy like Gian, I don't think he's going to fare well against anybody in the heavyweight division. Now, I have it on decent authority that apparently Gian Vellante is going to come in looking the best he's ever looked at, especially at heavyweight since he's moved up here. But that still gives me questions in terms of whether that will translate into his performance here and whether his cardio will look any better than it has in the past. You know, seeing him death gas against Maurice Green and tap to that choke that, uh, or choke that uh, that uh, Maurice Green slapped onto him uh, at the ending of that fight and, and actually get him to tap, you know, you, you can't pay me to bet on a fighter that does that. Even with the Chris Barnett, you know, it seemed like he really death gassed against Ben Rothwell in that second round and gave up a choke that, you know, if you had a little bit more gas, more than likely you're going to be able to get out of. I don't want to discredit the, the squeeze and the choke and the grip that uh, Ben Rothwell has. But again, at this level, you should not be getting tapped out with that kind of choke. I do like, uh, I, I do lean ever so slightly Gian Volante here. I know the over-under is actually set at one and a half and the over is minus 210. So a little bit too chalky, but I do think that that's the play as I do expect this fight to get extended. You know, if somebody gets a knockout finish, it's probably going to be Chris Barnett early. But if this gets outside of the first two or three minutes of this fight, it could go on for the entirety of the 15 minutes and I wouldn't be surprised. Um, yeah, I, I don't have too much to say about this fight. I'm going to lean with Gian Vellante, given that he probably has a grappling edge here, and he could take down Chris Barnett without too much issue. Uh, but it's really going to come down to who looks like they're gassing out worse first. And, uh, you know, it could be Gian, it could be Chris. I have no idea, nor do I give a shit, because I won't be betting this fight with anybody's money at all. I, I just can't do that to you guys. No way am I going to make you guys sweat out a Gian Vellante pick or a Chris Barnett pick, or even even the under or over one and a half this fight seems like it could be absolute bonkers at times and that first round knockout for Chris Barnett could absolutely transpire my prediction is going to be Gian Vellante via decision in this fight though uh, again given it's his retirement fight gotta believe that he's coming in in the best shape of his career or at least over his last couple years of performing and uh, stylistically speaking again takedowns should come early against a, a wild guy like Chris Barnett and he should be able to do decent work from that top position afterwards so uh uh, pick is Gian Vellante via decision. Just keep your money away from this fight, folks. Keep your money away. I promise you.
Ian Gary versus Jordan Williams. We got minus 390 on Gary and plus 320 on Jordan Williams. Uh, UFC debut of the heavily touted Ian Gary, who is obviously the champion over there at Cage Warriors, and now jumps into the UFC after a pretty and sparkling 7-0 record where he was able to finish five out of his seven victories. Uh, the kid looks good, man. He looks like he is the goods. He has great striking from the outside disguises his takedowns pretty well and then on the ground he does a very good job in terms of remaining offensive minded and trying to get his opponents out of there with uh, slick chokes or ground and pound whatever it might be the kid is always active and looking for that finish and I think the UFC knows exactly what they're doing just like the uh, the Alex Pereira fight a little bit later in the card they know what they're doing with setting these UFC debutants that have some star power to them, setting them up against guys that they should be able to go out there and beat. You know, Jordan Williams, bottom of the barrel type of fighter in this division. I'd be very surprised if he goes out there and actually has success against a guy like Ian Gary. You know, the really only accolade I'd give Jordan Williams is the fact that uh, he has some decent knockout power. Outside of that, cardio not good. You know, I I know he changed his training camp before his last fight, moved from uh, California to Colorado to train at Factory X Muay Thai, but, you know, he didn't really have much time to showcase what he was able to gather at Factory X as within the first, I'd say, 30 or 20 seconds of that fight, we saw Mickey Gall go out there and land a beautiful shot that hurt Jordan Williams, and it didn't seem like he was right at all after that. And then we saw Mickey Gall obviously go out there and get the rear naked choke quickly thereafter. If you're getting choked by Mickey Gall, and if you're getting hurt by Mickey Gall, that's all I need to know to know that Ian Gary will have more than enough success to go out there and beat a guy like Jordan. Now, it's interesting. Ian has had a very difficult last couple months, especially leading up to his last fight, where his team pretty much left him hanging on fight week on the biggest fight of his career, uh, a five-rounder against a very tough Jack Grant. And uh, he managed to, to get through it. And apparently he had a lingering knee injury in that fight as well, which really kind of hindered him from going out there and being an all-offensive kind of guy. But he still did do enough to go out there and win a five-round decision and earn his contract into the UFC. And I think we'll see the best version of himself this time because now that he's finally found a legitimate training camp down there in Deerfield Beach, Florida at Sanford MMA, uh, he has a great team behind him, great coaching staff behind him. You got to believe that he's going to be able to go out there and give us one of his best performances against a Cage Warriors level talent here in Jordan Williams. So, you know, we can make all the hypotheses we want about, you know, Jordan Williams being a live underdog. You know, there's times where his durability shows off, like we saw in the Imovov fight. Uh, and then there's times where his power shows off, like we saw in the Gregory Rodriguez fight. But I think that Jordan Williams is just a little too slow for Ian Gary here. And I don't think he'll be able to find that chin of Ian. And I think at a certain point, we'll see Ian drag this fight to the ground and really start to impose his role from on top. And... I think he sinks in that choke here against uh, Jordan Williams. I believe the, the submission prop for Ian Gary is roughly around plus 450, plus 500. I think that's worth a little bit of a stab here, but I think that Ian Gary gets this done without much issue. I'm going to go, uh, you know, I, I have high hopes for this guy, but I will taper them based on the level of competition he's going up against and obviously his opposition in his upcoming fights. But this fight against Jordan Williams seems like a layup, and I'm... You know, I'm okay with parlaying him at this chalky line that he's at to get slightly better odds on another fight that you're looking at on the card. So I got Ian Gary here. I'm going to say first round submission. 
Nasruddin Imovov versus Edmund Shabazian. We got minus 120 on Imovov and plus 100 on Edmund Shabazian. Now, this fight, uh, in particular, the line movement of this fight is very intriguing to me. We saw uh, Imovov open up around minus 140, got bet down to about the minus 160, minus 165 range, and then a ton of money started coming in on Edmund Shabazian. That's pushed Imovov down to minus 115, minus 120, depending on the book that you're actually looking at. Um, I'm kind of surprised by that. You know, I mean, it's very difficult to overlook the cardio issues that we seemingly always see in Edmund Shabazian fights, but uh, he does have a distinct advantage in this fight in terms of the grappling and the wrestling if he chooses to employ that here. Now, we saw Edmund obviously have a great first round against Jack Manson using his uh, sharp jab and striking to be able to, you know, out damage him in that fight or in that round specifically. But in the second round, we did see him start to look a little bit more labored, start to look like he was huffing and puffing a little bit more, and that takes down came way easier for Jack Manson. Now, we did have Shabazzin kind of pull off a, a reversal near the ending of that round, but it just was not enough for him to get that round back. And then in the third round, it was pretty much one-way traffic for Jack Manson, who managed to score a 10-8 on all three judges' scorecards and then take home that unanimous decision victory. Imovov, you know, he is a guy last time around that I faded as a lock of the night play with Ian Heinish, as I believed Ian would be able to replicate what Phil Hawes was able to do against Imovov. However, Heinish was not able to secure a takedown he was not able to get a ton of control time against the cage and then we saw Imovov at range pretty much just pick apart Heinish and then obviously get that finished in that second round I have the same concerns here here uh, for Imovov against Shabazian as he, Shabazian could be successful early in this fight but then the longer that it goes I feel like Imovov will be able to kind of disengage keep this fight at range and really get his striking going he showed good things in the Heinish fight in his in terms of his ability to dig under hooks and pivot off and get off, get off the cage but uh, I you know, Heinrich is slowly starting to look more and more like a bust, and I'm intrigued to see if Shabazzin would be, uh, you know, better off suited trying to enforce that kind of game plan, which is clinch, uh, clinching up against the cage and, and just kind of get that control time. But I don't really believe in his cardio to be able to do that for, you know, he's going to have to do it in at least the first and second round. And then after that, I think he's going to have labored himself a little bit too much. And then he'll start to slow down. We we should see Imovov start to get out of those bad positions a little bit easier and then start to get his striking going off. So uh, it seems like Nasruddin is headed in the, 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 the direction of being the underdog within the next day or two. And if he does end up being the underdog, I'm going to have to be forced to take a stab here on him. Uh, you know, I, I'd like to see more than one, you know, fight work where we see Imovov actually get uh, show improvements. So, you know, it's not like me to to go out there and bet a guy like Imovov, especially with only having one solid fight uh, of improvements to to show for it. But in this fight against Edmund Shabazzin, I feel like it's a great stylistic matchup for him to go out there and just do what he does. Again, find that range, start letting his strikes off. And if Shabazzin wants to go out there and try to strike with Imovov in the second and third rounds here, I don't think it's going to be a great idea, nor do I think that Shabazzin will be able to control him while enough in those second and third rounds to uh, kind of nullify the striking advantage that I think that Imovov will have later in this fight. So yeah, I'm going to be targeting that round three Imovov prop. And yeah, I'll be targeting Imovov inside the distance. But even at his, as a straight bet at plus 100 or plus 120, plus 130, whatever he gets up to, I think it's going to be a good bet because I do believe that uh, his cardio will be the benefactor or, or, or sorry, not the benefactor, what am I talking about? I, I do think the Cardio will be the X factor in this fight as to why he should be able to pull away in the second and third rounds. And if he doesn't get a finish in that third round, 
possible 10-8 incoming and possible round two and round three uh, decision coming his way as well. So yeah, I like Imovov here. I just can't back Shabazzian, especially with that horrible gas tank that he continues to show. And yeah, he can get away with it against guys like Darren Stewart when he's pushed into a third round where he can land a takedown and kind of control Darren Stewart where Darren doesn't really have much takedown defense. But then in every pretty much every other fight that we've seen from Edmund where he's won, he's just starching these guys within the first round or so. So, and that's clouded a lot of people's judgment, especially going into that Derek Brunson fight where he's a minus 360 favorite. So I like Imovov here, waiting for that shit to hit dog money because I take a, a shot on it and I'm going to take Imovov to win this fight via round three KO. Phil Hawes versus Chris Curtis. We got minus 320 on Phil Hawes and plus 260 on Chris Curtis. Now, if you guys remember, uh, Chris was actually trying to step in to fight Phil Hawes a couple weeks ago uh, as Phil Hawes' opponent had... Uh, had failed to make weight or wasn't 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 even able to make it to the scales and i believe that was duran when chris curtis steps in on super short notice but unfortunately phil haas declines that fight but willingly accepts uh to to rebook it a couple weeks later and now here he is going up against chris curtis who finally makes his ufc debut after years and years after 34 fights uh, in the regional scene, he finally gets his crack in the, in the UFC. Now he's on a bit of a winning streak, which obviously helps his case. Uh, but it's very interesting considering all the different weight classes that we've been seeing Chris Curtis fight at. He's fought at 205, fought at 170, fought at 185. You know, 170, uh, that's pretty much where he had the majority of his PFL career, but he just kept coming up short against the top two guys in that division, Ray Cooper and Magomed, Magomed Karamov. Now here he is taking this fight on somewhat short notice, going up a weight class, and I would be surprised if we see him once again at 185 pounds in his second fight and i do think that the size difference here could play a factor into phil haas overpowering him and just implementing the game that he brings in there's been times where chris has been you know taken down over and over and over again and really can't get his striking going and that's probably what probably what we're going to see here with phil haas who has a very decent uh, uh top game and good wrestling game uh, Phil is obviously improving his cardio, obviously winning his last two fights via decision, something he's never done in his career before. So there is clear improvements that he's making down there over at Sanford MMA. Uh, but the issue is he seems to get hurt in almost every single one of his fights. And Chris Curtis can definitely crack. So that is definitely uh, a bit of a worry if you are backing Phil Haas in the spot at Chalk Odds. I would never recommend parlaying Phil Haas at minus 300 or above. You know, until we see him not get hurt as much in his fights and see him show, you know, decent cardio in that third round, which again, he's shown over his last two fights to be able to survive and not get knocked out. But we need to see more of it. You know, went over an Imovov who, you know, seemed to really be trying to figure himself at that time. Uh, it was okay. The win over Kyle Dawkins, you know, another one where Dawkins made some very questionable decisions after hurting uh, Phil Haas. I need to see more of it. Now, Chris Curtis is a veteran who's probably seen it all, and he probably knows that he'll likely get ragdolled for the first two rounds, but that third round, that five minutes, he needs to go balls to the wall and really try to find the finish against Phil Oz here. So I'm not playing Phil at all in this fight. The only thing I will probably play is Chris Curtis to win in round three, which was around plus 1,800, plus 2,200, plus 2,500, depending on where you're getting your odds from. And I think that's worth a little bit of a sprinkle, especially when, you know, you expect a guy like Chris Curtis to, to be there the entire time. Ray Cooper obviously finished him as well, but there were times in that Magomed Karamov fight where, you know, his ability to get back to his feet was really starting to tire out Magomed Karamov. And I could absolutely see that here against Phil Hawes. The only difference being, 
up at 185 pounds, Phil Hawes is probably much stronger and much uh, more physically imposing uh, at this weight class uh, for Chris Curtis compared to the Magomed, Magomed Karimov, who's down at 170 pounds. That's a bit of concern for me with this Chris Curtis spot. I'm not touching Phil Hawes, not throwing him into a Hail Mary parlay, nothing like that. I'm picking him to win, picking him to win by decision. These odds are just ridiculous. These odds are, again, he wins this fight. But are you really willing to put it, put it on the line, especially considering that Chris Curtis has a decent get-up game and good knockout power as well? I don't have the balls to bet or play Chris Curtis, but I will sprinkle that round three prop, like I said. But I'm going to go Phil Hawes to win this fight via decision. Bobby Green versus Al Iaquinto. We got minus 175 on Bobby Green and plus 155 the return on the returning Raging Al Iaquinta. Now, going into taping this fight, I really believe that I was going to come out on the other end with a possible bet on Iaquinta given that he's at a decent dog number. After you run the tape, though, it's very difficult to do so, especially considering that he's probably, you know, a foot and a half out the door in terms of MMA, considering how successful his real estate business is going. Uh, in his last two fights, he's faltered to Donald Cerrone and Dan Hooker. But before that, he had a tremendous performance against Kevin Lee, where he came in as a plus 275 underdog and sprung the upset. <coughs> Excuse me. But uh, really, really defied the odds in that fight, marching down Kevin Lee for the majority of it, putting the pressure on him, and then eventually winning that decision victory. But he's not come close to tapping into that type of performance over his last two fights, and I don't expect him to do it here either against a guy in Bobby Green who been busy during this uh, COVID situation. I believe this is going to be his sixth fight, either uh, fifth or sixth fight in the COVID uh, era, and it's really working out for him. Well, you know, very close fights, I'll say that. he In his last five, he's three and two. He's on a two-fight skid right now, but you could make an absolute case for him to have won his last two fights. So nothing to really hold his head about there, and there's a reason in this fight he's a minus 175 favorite. Uh, Ali Quinta, I think the way he makes this fight close is if he goes out there and tries to get his grappling going. He has a sneaky submission game, but I think that Bobby Green is just too weathered and too, uh, too much of a veteran to fall for anything like that. We've seen Bobby Green get taken down, but work his way back to his pretty quickly and then really start letting his striking go which really is the cause of his opponent's problems more often than not right they're they they struggle in dealing with the the type of striking style that bobby green puts on them uh however there are times where bobby green just fights a little bit too close to the level of his competition and that is why i'm always not the highest in terms of betting on a guy like bobby green uh, another thing, he doesn't really seem to have that killer instinct anymore, right? The guy is, what, 20, 39, 40, this is going to be his 41st MMA fight. It's been a while since we've seen him go out there and get a finish either, right? And Ally Quinta, very durable himself, very difficult to put him out. So I do think that we see this fight go the full three rounds. Now, when I was writing up my best bets and props article, I was about to plug in the best bet is probably the over two and a half. Uh, you know, rather, you know, take a little bit of the chalk on the over two and a half rather than playing Bobby Green, just in case Bobby Green goes out there and again, fights a very close fight. We go to a decision and he loses a split, a split decision. I was expecting, honestly, like a minus 280, minus 270 max, minus 290 on the over two and a half. However, it's in around minus 400, which is crazy to see for a men's MMA fight uh, for the over two and a half to be a minus 400. But that's exactly, 
that's accurate in terms of how this fight should go down right both guys no real urgency to get to get the finish i think if there is a finish it probably comes from the ally quinta side he has some decent power in his hands and a very sneaky submission game like i said but bobby green has proven that he is very difficult to put away and put out and uh, i i do think that we'll see that come to fruition this weekend as well so the only action i'm gonna have on this fight if i have action at all is gonna be bobby green by decision which sits around minus 110 minus 120 that makes absolute sense, right? I'd rather lose on a minus 110, minus 120 than lose on a minus 175. Uh, but I do think Bobby wins this fight. Like I said, Ali Quinta, I don't even know how close or or how deep he really is into the MMA game anymore. Uh, and you don't want to be having that type of, you know, one foot in, one foot out approach, especially going up against a veteran like Bobby Green, who's probably pissed off that he's lost his two fights and had to go home with half his paycheck both those times as well. I'm going Bobby Green, and I'm taking him to win this fight via decision. It's finally here. The UFC debut of Alex Pereira, a.k.a. the guy that went out there and knocked out Israel Adesanya in the kickboxing world, and the only guy to seemingly make Israel Adesanya look human, I guess outside of Jan Blachowicz, because that one almost slipped my mind that that fight even happened. But Pereira finally making his debut, coming in as a minus 255 favorite, going up against Andreas Mihalaitis, who's going to be making his third walk to the cage as a plus 215 underdog here. Now, Mihalaitis has, uh, you know, two fights in the UFC, like I'd already said. He's gone one and one in them. The first one, obviously, being a very weird one where he had that fight against Modestus Bukowskis, and it seemed like Bukowskis was landing beautiful elbows near the ending of that first round some of them possibly hitting the back of the head of Mihalaitis. Mihalaitis seemed all sorts of, uh, you know, rocked and, and you know, messed up from it. Um, and uh, he had the unfortunate... Uh, the unfortunate scenario of being seated where he was in regards to being up against the cage and not knowing that that was actually the door. And once the door opened at the ending of that first round, he fell backwards and the referee quickly called it off, deeming Mihalaitis too injured to continue. And then Bukowskis was obviously delivered the uh, the victory in that fight. Next time around, he goes up against KB Buller and just moves forward the entire time, throwing absolute bombs at a very gun-shy KB Buller. And he was able to come away with a decision victory in that fight as Buller didn't really offer up much resistance in that fight. And Mihalaitis was able to achieve his first UFC victory here against Alex Pereira seems like an obvious setup right you got the minus 255 Alex Pereira going up against the minus plus 215 Mihalaitis but even if you look at the stylistic uh, approach here from both guys you got to believe that Pereira is going to come away with a knockout victory he has a four inch height advantage as well as a five inch reach advantage and you know he's going to be, be making full use of that especially with us having the larger octagon for this pay-per-view card down there at Madison Square Garden um, Mihalaitis will have have to come out there with a grapple heavy approach to have any success in this fight however it's not something that he usually goes to right he likes to go out there and try to knock your head into that fourth or fifth row as he just continuously moves forward puts that pressure on you and tries to move you backwards and uh and knock you out that just leads me to believe that he's going to come you know pretty much find himself uh, walking into a knockout of alex Pereira as he's a very good counter striker very clean crisp and has a ton of power behind his strikes and i think at the prime age of 34 years old for Pereira he's gonna have to put a highlight reel together in his first two or three fights if he wants to get that shot to get Israel Adesanya and really you know extract as much as we can from the storyline of these guys already going up against each other but the UFC knows what they're doing here they matched up Mihalaitis here for a reason and I think we'll find out quickly that Pereira uh you know took the, took the proper fight for his UFC debut I'm going Alex Pereira first round knockout 
plus 110 is what I actually got on prayer to win inside the distance. So that's why I pulled the trigger on myself. Uh, but, you know, the KO line is probably plus 120, plus 130. That's probably the way to go here. Uh, so, yeah, I got Alex Pereira first round knockout. Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler. We got minus 220 on the human highlight reel, Justin Gaethje, and plus 180 on Michael Chandler. And this fight has been on the radar for a long time as soon as this matchup was announced and even the possibility of this matchup being announced once michael chandler got signed to the ufc everybody was off the race off to the races and just thinking that this fight was going to be absolutely bonkers now i'll say this the fight doesn't go to decision roughly around minus 300 minus 350 it's probably the way to go in this fight you know probably go out there and parlay it if you want but knowing justin gaethje he goes out there and he puts on a hellacious pace on his opponents that some of them are not able to keep up with uh and then he's able to break them with leg kicks and then eventually knock them out or put them down uh, michael chandler you know 35 years old got knocked down in his last fight had some iffy moments uh, in prior fights as well but justin gaethje is definitely one of the better fighters that he's been facing over the last little while not to mention again that pace and the pressure of justin gaethje i think is going to be a little bit too much for michael chandler to deal with i think the wrestling will nullify itself here you know uh we didn't see the greatest wrestling performance from gaethje the last time he fought habib Nurmagomedov, but i think that guy is just an absolute nightmare and I do think that we'll see Gaethje deal with the wrestling style of Chandler a little bit easier but Chandler you know with his striking style is a little bit rudimentary right it's the regular wrestling type of striking which is just blitzing forward attacks wide winging hooks try to land that power strike and if he's not able to more than likely he's going to get countered or he's going to start huffing and puffing because of the amount of energy that he's expending with all the big shots that he's throwing out there um difficult for me to you know convince myself to play the minus 220 on Justin Gaethje I, I kind of just settled up with parlaying the fight doesn't go to decision around that minus 300 line as I feel like no matter who wins this fight somebody's getting knocked out somebody's going to be staring up at the lights and uh you know I'd rather be safe on both sides here because Gaethje's chin could absolutely get exposed at a certain point or another right he's been knocked out in the past obviously we've seen that but Michael Chandler does possess that power to potentially put his lights out so rather than being tied to that uh minus 220 line on Justin Gaethje although I believe he wins I'd rather pay that extra chalk and, and take the fight doesn't go to decision because I do think that's a safer play here considering the violence that we're supposed to be getting in this fight. So I, I'm going to go Justin Gaethje. I'm going to go second round. You know what? Yeah, let's go second round TKO once the pressure and pace really starts to catch up with Chandler and those leg kicks and that forward movement, that improving boxing from Gaethje continues to pile up. And uh, yeah, it will be a great way to start off the main card as uh, the news just dropped yesterday that they did rejig the uh, main card just to favor Trevor Whitman as well, as well, who's going to have three massive fights on the main card. Uh, so hopefully, you know, giving him that break between Gaethje and the title fights, you know, it, it makes sense. I completely understand. So to start off this card with this fight, absolute blessing. I cannot wait for it. And then we still got, you know, Edgar Vera and Billy Q and Shane Burgos right after that. Those fights are going to hold up. Name value, you know, not as much as Gaethje and Chandler at this point in time, but I do think that those fights will hold up in terms of their ability to deliver violence. But in talking about violence with this fight, my main spot in this is the fight doesn't go to decision. Chalky as all hell, but I'd be surprised if this one hits the scorecards. I'm going Justin Gaethje and I'm going to take him to win by second round KO. 
Shane Burgos versus Billy Quarantillo. We got minus 190 on the Muay Thai specialist Shane Burgos and plus 165 on the ever-entertaining Billy Quarantillo. Now, I'm very excited for this fight, and although it is on the main card, it has the lowest name value on the card, but I guarantee you, after the fans chew on to this fight and actually, uh, you know, actually take it in and, and give it a chance, they'll more than likely be fans of both guys by the time this fight concludes. Uh, both guys are all action pretty much all the time. Billy Q puts on a pace that not a lot of fighters are able to keep up with. However, I think he's coming in against uh, Shane Burgos and will have a very difficult time in, try in terms of trying to use his pace to break his opponents, something that he's very successful with in the past. Shane Burgos is a great Muay Thai specialist training out of the Tiger Showman training camp. Uh, and, you know, he he's had a pretty good run in the UFC, uh, but he did fall short in his last two fights against Josh Emmett. And then obviously that Edson Barboza knockout earlier this year where he got his brain rattled in that third round and obviously finished there by uh, by Barboza, one of the weirder KO finishes of the year. But he was in that fight, man. He, he is a very good uh, striker, good combinations, uh, great movement. My concern with him is, though, uh, is his striking defense. Uh, it's a bit of a liability at times. We saw it in the Josh Emmett fight. We obviously saw it in the Edson Barboza fight. But here against Billy Quarantillo, I'm not sure if it'll be as big of an issue considering that I think that the skill gap in terms of the technical striking abilities of these guys is much more massive than it was in the past fights for Shane Burgos. I think Burgos will have tremendous success in terms of countering the forward movement of Billy Quarantillo, landing the better strikes, and then obviously shucking off any takedown attempts that Billy will more than likely be shooting here, as that's where he'll probably have the advantage if the fight gets there. Now, uh, Billy, like I said earlier, he he banks on his wear and tear and his ability, or sorry, his ability to wear and tear his opponents and just uh, break them with pressure and pace and just keep coming forward. And then eventually in that latter parts of the second round and early parts of the third round he's able to get out get them out of there like he did against uh, Jacob Kilburn and how he did against Kyle Nelson as well but even if you go throughout his regional career that's how this guy fights all action all the time I was waiting for the proper opportunity to fade Billy Quarantillo and and I finally got the chance again when he went up against Gavin Tucker and I got Gavin Tucker around that plus 150 plus 160 range as an underdog uh, I was waiting for a technically better fighter than Billy Quarantillo to go up against him and somebody that can go a decent five or 15 minutes uh, and deal uh, with that style of Billy Q and continuously put it on him. And that's exactly what we got from Gavin Tucker that night. And it was great to cash that ticket. Uh, I believe I skipped out on the Benitez fight. If anything, I bet the under there. Uh, and I do think it just missed by a couple couple seconds or a couple minutes. Uh, but uh, another entertaining fight from Billy Quarantillo. Now we're finally getting a legitimate technical striker once again like the Gavin Tucker uh, crop of fighters in Shane Burgos and I think that this is going to be a great opportunity for Burgos to get back onto the winning uh, side of things especially after coming off of two very difficult losses for him to go through. Uh, does Billy Quarantilla have that knockout ability to to catch Shane Burgos? He does. He absolutely does. You know Burgos' striking defense like I said is a liability and Billy Quarantilla could absolutely uh, take advantage of that. However I just think he's going to have difficulty dealing with the movement and the combinations that are going to be coming his way from the Shane Burgos side of things. Uh, I do lean Shane Burgos. I'm not 100% sure if he'll be able to finish Billy. You know, Billy, uh, three losses in his career, only one of them coming by knockout. Uh, and as of, you know, recently, it seems like his durability is really on point, which leads me to believe that we'll probably see Shane Burgos go out there and winning two or three rounds and win this fight via decision. His decision line currently sits around plus 200. If it was a little
little bit juicier than that. I think about sprinkling it because I th- again I think this fight's going to be all violence, all offense, pretty much the entire time. And if you have uh, over two and a half or fight goes to decision or a decision prop on this fight, you gonna be sweating it the entire time. I promise you that. Uh, so yeah, I like Shane Burgos here. I think his chin holds up, his durability holds up, and he showcases that he's the much better technical striker. And he goes out there and pieces up uh, Billy Quarantillo over 15 minutes and wins this fight via decision. Frankie Edgar versus Marlon Vera. We got plus 150 on the answer and minus 170 on Chito Vera. Let's start off on the Frankie Edgar side of things, who's two and three in his last five fights. Uh, but the most interesting fight out of all of them has got to be his 25-minute fight against Pedro Munoz, where everybody picked against him. He came in as a plus 225 favorite, or sorry, plus 225 dog, and everybody was pretty much picking Munoz to win that fight via uh, KO or inside the distance. However, Frankie Edgar took pretty much every single shot and was able to keep chugging forward and actually had a pretty good argument as to why he should have won that fight which he did get his hand raised that night now people can say what they want about Pedro Munoz deserving to win that decision but I think that the most intriguing part of it the whole thing was the fact that uh, Frankie Edgar was able to stay conscious for the entirety of the 25 minutes which leads me to believe that you know there's further proof that we can't put too much stock into the standing KO uh, especially when there's days where it shows that a fighter is durable and there's days that it doesn't show that a fighter is durable and Frankie Edgar is the perfect uh, uh, the perfect answer to that pun intended um, you know it's tough to take a flying knee from Corey Sandig it's straight on the chin and obviously he's going to get deaded by that or the Korean zombie who does pose some pretty big power in his hands as well as he's shown over you know several fights in the past but to go 25 minutes with Max Holloway to go 25 minutes with Pedro Munoz and keep chugging forward without being in any crazy close to being finished type of danger that does give me some confidence as get, betting him as an underdog in this fight against the guy in Marlon Chito Vera, who, in my opinion, has been kind of overrated throughout his career. I'm not a big Chito Vera fan. You know, I've bet against him in the past, and it's worked out for me, most notably the, the Jose Aldo fight. I did bet against him with uh, Davy Grant at a pretty nice price tag. However, I think that Davy Grant, you know, he's, he's kind of getting into that KO or bust type of situation, and, you know, I did think it was possible he could possibly get the finish against uh, Marlon Vera, uh, but yeah, it never really worked out there. I, I actually I can't remember if I uh, bet Davy Grant or if I bet the under two and a half in that fight, but I'm pretty certain that it, it was it had to do with some sort of violence in that. Regardless. Um, Marlon Vera is not a guy that really strikes me as a one-punch knockout kind of guy or one-kick kind of knockout kind of guy. That's not really his style. Like, he kind of overwhelms you with volume and tries to get you out of there. He gets stronger as the fight goes on. So if you don't, if you have some cardio issues, that's not a good look. You know, obviously, the Davy Grand fight was a perfect example of that. But I think he's going to have a Frankie Edgar, you know, kind of pushing the pace and shooting takedowns for the majority of 15 minutes. And it's going to be very difficult for Chito Vera to get that late fight comfortability that he's normally used to. So that he can get his shots off or possibly find a finish of his own i think frankie is just going to go out there and as long as his chin holds up should be able to land takedowns at will here and just do what frankie edgar does right put you through the ringer is kind of what i like to call it just stay in his face throw the volume you know uh in and out movement land the takedowns when you need to and again as long as he doesn't get knocked out there is a strong possibility that in hindsight he looks like a minus 400 favorite in this spot and if you're giving me plus 150 odds on him 
I got to take the shot, man. I, I really do. If you're banking on Marlon Veras to knock out Frankie Edgar here, then rather than playing minus 170 on uh, Vera on the money line, which I don't think is a great bet, you got to bet him by KO because I think that's the only way he wins this fight. I'd be surprised if he's the better minute winner here against Frankie Edgar, who, you know, is normally all offense and uh, not all offense, but pressure, uh, activity, output, and takedowns. And I think that's going to be way more reliable to win minutes than what Chito Vera brings to the table. So yeah, I got to take a shot at Frankie Edgar. I know he just turned 40 years old recently, not too uh, clammed up by that, especially considering the type of fighter that we have with Frankie Edgar and then the type of fighter that we have with Marlon Vera, who's, you know, 28 years old, has a 12-year youth advantage, if that's what you want to call it. But I do think that Frankie Edgar should go out there and uh, and get the win regardless in this fight. So uh, I, I do have a bet on Frank Edgar. I went 1.5 units at plus 148. think he's the spot in this fight. And if he goes out there and gets knocked out, I'm completely fine with that. Because pre-fight, I don't believe that Chito Vera is much of a knockout puncher. And he does have a couple of KO victories on his record. You know, the Sean O'Malley one most recently. That one, we obviously know the circumstances surrounding that fight. Then the Andre Ewell one. Ewell, obviously, a horrible gas tank in that fight. And we saw Marlon Vera pretty much uh, take full advantage of that. But he's not going to get that in a guy like Frankie Edgar. Frankie Edgar is going to be there be there from minute one to minute 15 as long as his chin is able to keep up and i think he'll be able to do though do just that here against a guy like chito vera so i'm going frankie edgar and i'm going to take him to win this fight via decision time for the co-main event and the first of two rematches uh, for a title that we got headlining this card or co-headlining this card we got rose namayunas defending her straw weight strap against the woman that she just beat for it wiley zhang uh and i'm very intrigued by this fight because we got minus 115 on wiley zhang and minus 105 against rose namayunas now the last time they fought we saw wiley zhang come in as a minus 200 favorite with their turn on rose namayunas being plus 170 and it took 78 seconds for rose namayunas to knock her out in the first fight and now quickly get the odds back to being closer to a pick them which you know some may say that it should have been this the entire time while others may see that uh, Zhang probably just got caught by a flu KO and she should have won that fight regardless um, I believe uh, and I've obviously there's a lot of people that believe this that if you bet while these Zhang at minus 200 you almost have to auto bet her here at minus 115 considering that we didn't really see much of the fight play out you know what I mean uh, it, it's very interesting though especially with Rose Namajunas' last couple fights so in her last four fights she's fought two opponents uh, she knocked out Yuani and Jacek then she went to a decision with her the second time she uh, got knocked out by Jessica Andrade by that slam KO but then in their next fight they go to a decision I feel like there's a little bit of a trend going on there with Wiley Zhang obviously we saw her get knocked out in that first round which leads you to believe that they will probably see a 25 minute battle on battle between these two women uh, and this fight will more than likely be going to a decision this time around can't say I don't agree there now the interesting thing uh, about this fight is that Wiley Zhang has pretty much you know, it hasn't completely changed everything, but she is training out of fight ready now. Uh, but from what I've heard, she's obviously still has her main training or her coaches around. So there will be a little bit of an infusion over there in the fight ready corner uh, for Wiley Zhang with Eddie Cha, Santino DeFranco, if I'm not mistaken. And then obviously the uh, the regular coaches that Wiley Zhang normally goes in there with. But the interesting thing is that we see her working a lot with Henry Cejudo. See her working a lot with Davison Figueiredo, who just recently moved over there too. So they're building a little bit of a, uh, you know, a super 
super camp of former champs that are looking to go out there and get their belts back. And I'm very intrigued to see if uh, Wiley has made the appropriate adjustments, uh, although she's only been over there for about seven weeks. If you guys have been watching some of my Ultimate Wayne shows, I did have Fight Ready's Eddie Cha in the, uh, on one of my shows a couple of weeks ago saying that they're only getting Wiley Zhang for about seven weeks. And that's not really the best uh, amount of time to work with a fighter to truly try to train, change the game and get them to, you know, kind of adjust to what the Fight Ready um, basics are. They're just trying to take what they have and try to mold it as best as they can stylistically to go up against a girl like Rose Namajunas, where I think that she'll be able to... Uh, you know, have some success. Now, a lot of people expected Wiley to go out there and knock out Rose in their first fight, but unfortunately, it happened in reverse. We saw Rose Namajunas land a beautiful head kick that grounded Wiley Zhang and then obviously pounded her out to get the finish in that fight. I think Wiley, with this new training camp, I feel like that we're going to see a little bit of a different approach, which might be a grappa-heavy approach. Not saying she's going to go out there and be shooting for legs and desperation takedowns or anything like that, but I feel as though we'll see her after some combinations or something like that, try to change levels, try to get takedowns going and try to control Rose Namajunas. Now Rose, outside of her first UFC fight where she actually ended up losing her title, uh, you see her often get... Um uh, you don't see her often get tested in the grappling realm. Like in the uh, in the Carla Esparza fight, she gave up five takedowns uh, and five minutes of control time in that fight. Um, I, I believe, sorry, I believe it was five takedowns. Uh, yeah, in fact, in her first loss in the UFC, she gave up five minutes of control time to Carla Esparza, and then Carla eventually choked her out after that. I believe in the third round. In the seven fights after that. Um, she 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 only encountered four takedown attempts uh and only one uh was successful against her there uh and then after that she fought Jessica Andrade she went for about two uh she went two or four on takedowns in the second fight she went one of three on takedowns uh but it feels like Zhang could try to look to exploit that here as uh, again that's just not a style that Rose is used to going up against more often than not fighters want to go out there and try to strike with her and more often than not, they end up coming on the losing end because Rose is very skilled in the striking realm. Now, about when we have a skilled striker like Wally Zhang, she can set up and disguise takedowns a lot better considering that she can give the confidence and throw a confident combination and make Rose believe that she's throwing a combination and then obviously go for a takedown and try to catch her off guard and get some control time from on top. Rose is very crafty with her jiu-jitsu, so that's something that Zhang is going to have to worry about. So hopefully she's definitely drilling her submission defense as much as she's going to be drilling her takedowns here uh i just don't have the confidence to go out there and fade a girl like uh rose in this spot you know what i mean i'm a big zhang believer i've been a big believer of her since her first ufc fight but i truly believe that rose is a very tough matchup to, for anybody to go out there and fight right we, we long believed that yuani and jacek was the best 115 pounder in the world and nobody could hold a candle to her in the striking realm yet rose went out there and won four st strong rounds against Yuani and Jacek in a 25-minute fight. That is absolutely something that Rose is capable of, especially here against Wiley Zhang. Uh, I lean ever so slightly on the Zhang side here because I do think that it will be quite competitive from minute one to minute 25. But I think that the, the difference maker here is going to be the potential takedowns that we see Zhang land uh, throughout this fight, which could sway the judges in her favor, especially if the striking, or striking scenarios are pretty much even, which I believe they will be. 
Um, very tough fight to break down. I just want to sit back and watch it. But I think the intriguing bet would be the over four and a half at minus 125. As you know, again, that's kind of the trend in Rose's fights. In her rematches, she plays it a little bit safer, or at least her opponent's chin holds up better, and they know kind of what to expect and what's going to be coming their way. So I expect this fight to go 25 minutes. I think it's going to be Zhang that gets her hand raised, uh, and decision uh, her decision prop at plus 250, not too shabby either. So I'm going to go Wiley Zhang. I'm going to pick her by decision, but I'm very much eyeing that over four and a half at minus 125 because I do believe it holds some value in the spot. So uh, once again, I'm going to go and new Wiley Zhang via decision. Time for the main event and the rematch we have all been waiting for. We got Kamaru Usman going up against Colby Covington for the welterweight strap. And this is a rematch of a fight that took place in December of 2019, where Kamaru Usman was able to get away with a finish in round five after a very close back and forth battle where we had two judges uh, scoring the fight 3-1 for either side and then one judge who had a 2-2 going into that final round and it was pretty obvious that this was a damn close fight uh, until Kamaru Usman was obviously able to put Kobe Covington away. Um, I was excited for this fight as soon as the first one wrapped up because I knew without a doubt you can make a solid claim that these guys should fight each other once again and they are probably 1A and 1B in this welterweight division. I don't think there's going to be anybody that's able to match the type of cardio, resting, output and improvements that th both of these guys are showcasing on a fight-to-fight -fight basis and the only one that really comes to mind at this point in time is Hamza Chmaev. However, he's still a couple fights away from proving that he deserves to actually have a title shot or anything like that. Not to mention, let's give him some legitimate competition before you start to put him up there against Kamaru and Kobe. Now, again, I, I truly believe that Kamaru Usman will go down as one of the greatest welterweights of all time, and it's very difficult as a Canadian to say that, especially considering we had a guy like George St. Pierre ruling the, the division for years on end. However, Kamaru Usman is proving to be a very complete fighter, upgrading his uh, striking on a fight-to-fight -fight basis, like I said, knocking out his last two opponents in Gilbert Burns and Jorge Masvidal, who had never been knocked out in his career ever. So you got to believe that Usman is uh, improving on a fight-to-fight -fight basis. And again, his cardio is good or amazing, not good, is amazing. His wrestling is amazing, never conceded to take down inside the UFC. And uh, yeah, there's just so many things to like about Kamaru Usman. Now, the funny thing is, though, Kobe Covington is almost a carbon copy of uh, Kamar Usman in terms of you know they have somewhat of the same style put the pressure put the pace on their opponents I'd say we get a little bit more output from Colby Covington though uh, but we definitely get more power from the Kamar Usman side of things but goddamn that first fight was damn close before that finish at the ending there and I truly believe that if we put these guys together 10 times it might go down 5-5 five, five, or 6-4 in favor of Kamar Usman which leads me to my next point of the odds are just a little bit too wide right we got minus 290 on Kamar Usman plus 245 on Colby Covington and you know the first time that they were actually scheduled to fight each other uh Kamar Usman was, was only a minus 190 favorite uh compared to the plus 165 underdog price tag we were getting on Kamar Usman last time or sorry on Colby Covington last time around uh the the reasoning is a lot of people are saying that Kamaru was just more uh active right since their last uh meeting he has fought three times compared to the one time that Kobe Covington went in there and dismantled Tyrone Woodley 
but people fail to realize that just because you're not competing doesn't mean you're not making improvements and you best believe that Kobe Covington knows that he has to work his butt off to achieve the level of success that Kamaru Usman is uh, achieving but he might always end up being the the bridesmaid right he always might end up being the Joseph Benavides to his Dominic Cruz or the Joseph Benavides to his Mighty Mouse Johnson it's always going to be very difficult so you got to believe that he's just in the gym training his ass off and trying to uh, you know one up Kamaru Usman hopefully get this to a, a 1-1 uh, series so that they can have a rubber match hopefully in their next matchup but regardless I'm expecting this fight to play out much closer than that minus 290 indicates uh, Kobe Covington has a ridiculous pace and output that's very difficult for a lot of people to keep up with and I believe it was the the Robbie Lawler fight where he attempted over 530 uh, strikes which is crazy for a 25 minute fight um, here I'd be surprised or I'd actually let me let me rephrase that. I'd be interested to see uh, some wrestling going on in this fight, as neither of them shot one takedown in their first meeting, and it almost seemed like uh, you know a dick swinging contest in terms of who deserved uh, to get the win that night, because both guys were just slugging it out there. Obviously, the power coming from the Kamar Usman side, as he did end up breaking Kobe Covington's jaw, I believe, in the second or third round of that fight, but great heart and resiliency for Kobe Covington to continue to fight even after having that uh, injury incur uh, again uh, on his jaw I have no interest in paying this fight, uh, playing this fight, uh, unless we get around minus one seventy-five, minus two hundred for uh, Kamara Usman, uh, or plus three hundred, plus three fifty on the Kobe Covington side. Uh, I'm considering the over three and a half, which is roughly around minus one fifty. But considering the bad blood and heat between these guys and the ever-improving striking game of Kamara Usman, it does leave me some pause in terms of he could possibly get Kobe out of there a little bit sooner. But it is blasphemous to think that Kobe Covington does not have a chance in this fight. Absolutely blasphemous. Say what you want about, you know, Kamara being more active, but Kobe Covington has definitely got to be making improvements. They're roughly around the same age. You got to believe they're improving roughly around the same rate, but you do have to give the advantage to coaching staff and uh, kind of guidance to the Kamara Usman side. If I'm not mistaken, Kobe Covington is still down there at MMA Masters, and it feels like more so he's just trying to find a gym to train at. I'm not 100% sure if he's fully invested in the coaching staff there and mostly just trusts his own uh, you know, style and, and pace and what brought him to the dance, and I'm not sure if uh, changing a coach is going to change any of that either. Uh, all in all, I still lean on the Kamaru side. It's going to be very difficult for a lot of fighters to catch him here. Uh, again, Kobe is the stiffest test. If there's anybody that beats Kamaru, it is going to be Kobe. But I just can't pull the trigger on Kobe either because I'm so high on Kamaru Usman, but just not high enough to play that minus 290 price tag on him. So I might throw him into a Hail Mary parlayer here or there, but there's going to be no serious money on my side in terms of this fight specifically. I think the only way you can play Usman and, you know, get the benefit of the of the betting odds is picking a specific prop for him i think his uh ko line is roughly around plus 180 and his decision line is around plus 170 i lean the ko a little bit more maybe a little bit later into this fight just as it was in the last time which is why i kind of agree with the over three and a half but i do think that uh usman will be able to get it out get him out of there in rounds four or five once again so my official prediction is going to be usman via ko round four but goddamn, I can't wait for this fight to go down. It is the best in any division. The best two fighters going up against each other. The two most complete fighters going up against each other. And we're in for a treat this weekend. But my prediction, like I said, is going to be Kamaru Usman, round four, TKO.
and that's a wrap on the breakdowns hope you guys enjoyed the episode and if you guys haven't already please hit that like hit that subscribe and if you guys want to support your boy a little bit more check out the patreon five bucks a month gets you a ton of great content and not to mention a great discord community to join as well and lastly shout out to coolbet coolbet.com use mma sorry use promo code mmalotn2 that's the number two and they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks Trust me, you're going to want to check it out. I love those guys over there at CoolBet. All right, good luck on your bets this week. I believe next week we have uh, a fight night coming up. Uh, not many fight, uh, not many events left in 2021. And uh, I, I did warn some people on Twitter as well that after the December 18th event, we got three weeks off, three weekends without a UFC. So take in as much MMA as you can. Appreciate it as much as you can now because during those three weeks, we're going to be in some sort of, you know, some sort of shell and and go into the go into a a baby position and just be like goddamn why are there no fights on so just try to take advantage of it while you guys can i believe december 18th to january 15th is going to be a break so uh yeah take full advantage of it over the next couple weeks but not to mention this ufc 268 card is absolute fire I think we'll enjoy it this weekend. So good luck in your bets this weekend. I'll see you guys throughout the week for other content. Obviously propping you up on Thursday, Ultimate Win Show on Friday, and then the Fight Day live chat on Saturday, uh, 1 p.m. Eastern. All right, good luck on your bets, and I'll see you guys throughout the week.